Thank you. Good morning. Are all of you full? Do you feel like now you've had second breakfast, as the hobbits say? Yeah. Uh, it's so good to be here. Uh, you all know exactly what I'm saying when I say that when somebody calls you and says, hey, could you speak at a thing in the end of September? You begin to think about it and think about it and think about it. And then when you finally get to deliver it, it's like, oh, I have so much free brain space. I'm looking forward to that moment in about an, an hour. <laughs> so uh, my name is Carrie, as Pastor Justin said. We've served here for 22 years. And at this church, I think in your brochure, it says we're from Abbotsford, but we are actually from here. I came from the States and um, came up here to help them start the program formerly known as Master's Commission, now known as Launch. So I'm married to Sean right here in the front row. And we have four, yeah, thank you. You can clap for Sean. He's a brave, bold man. We have four kids and I just always feel better if I can show you who my family is because I love them. So I have, there they are. Yeah, thanks. They're cute, right? That was their first day of school. So um, from, from your far right, that's Alina, and the tall one is Emma, and then we have twin boys that are seven. So those of you that are parents, let me just run this down for you. I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old and twin 7-year-olds. So, thank you. Thank you. We are, we are just now recovering from the sleep deprivation of a few years ago. And so, but it's starting to, um, starting to really pay off, you know, all that parenting. After a while, it's really fun to watch and see what happens. They are my treasure and the chief character builders in my life. So um, I just want to mention this morning, you know, I was thinking about this room full of people. And so many of you prepare the word week after week for people. I'm not a lead pastor. I do not mess, pre, pre, prepare messages every week. And I just want to really, as a member of a congregation, honor those of you who do that. It's amazing that you are able to do that week after week. It, it is staggering the amount of work that it is to do that. It's like I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, when you go to those fancy restaurants and they prepare the food right in front of you and they're like doing all these knife work and then all of a sudden your slice of ginger becomes like a flamingo and you're like, how did you do that? That's how I feel when somebody's preaching and like it happened last night. They, he read a scripture and I'm like, that is what it says. And then he turns it into a three-point message. I don't know how they do that. It's amazing to me. I'm so impressed with that. And so thank you. Um, and I just have a question. How many of you have ever tried to preach like somebody else? Can we just have a confession? <laughs> Has anybody listened and thought, that's so good. I'm just going to throw that in. I'm just going to, or like an analogy or an example. And you're like, that is such a good analogy. I'm going to do that too. Okay. Did anybody else bomb when you tried to do that? A few years ago, this is when I was really first starting to kind of speak a little bit more, and um, Pastor Todd, who used to be our youth pastor here, he asked me to speak at our Regen conference, and I had spoken a little bit, but I thought I needed to up my game, and so uh, in way of confession, I'm a storyteller, and I really underestimated that and thought, it's kind of lame just being a storyteller. I need to study how to preach. So I got this little book by Frank DiMazio with so many points and, and, and eight simple ways to improve your preaching. Done. I'm doing it. Come up with some acronyms. Start them all with the same letter. Make them rhyme if you can. Do a dance. Involve the symbols. Somehow, you know, do the thing that you can do. And I thought, I'm going to do that. And so I got invited to speak at this Regen conference. And I tried to preach like Frank DiMazio. 
Is he? Oh gosh, it was catastrophic. I was so bored listening to myself. I was, I was after lunch in a hot room full of teenagers. I just wanted to say, class dismissed. Thank you for your time. Bye. But the worst part, I had to do it twice. Like the exact, and as soon as I got started, I thought, you should all just go home. And I'm going to go home too, which is what I did. And I got done with my message and I went home and I crawled under my covers as far as I could. And I just was like, oh, I just never want to leave the house again. And my husband comes and he sits on the bed. How are you doing? Well, other than wanting to die, I'm fine. And... (laughs) And he's just like, why, why are you so worked up? And I said, well, because all I do is tell stories and make people cry. And he's like, well, it worked for Jesus. (laughs) I was like, okay. So anyway, I'm just going to say that's my style. I'm not going to really exegete and make beautiful flamingos out of ginger. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you some stories. And I'm going to tell you some things that the Lord has put on my heart specifically for this group of people who I admire so much. Okay, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3 through 13. I'm just going to take a breath because I have a little bit of adrenaline right now. Just a sec. All right. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 13. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Can everybody say that? Every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth, God's power working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us. Beautiful. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us, any preachers in the room, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give our spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. And this is the part I love. Verse 11. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. In the message, and this is the verse that really caught my attention. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. Open your lives. Live openly and expansively. And that's what we want to talk about today. I'm just going to pray for a minute. Lord, I pray that as we begin to dig into what you want to say 
that you would call us out from all the places that we go when we're afraid or when things are happening in our life or we feel disqualified or overwhelmed. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen us to the core of who we are because there is a waiting world watching to see that people truly love Jesus. And I pray that you would strengthen the hearts of your people today and call us, Lord, to do the exact thing that you put us on the earth to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you get a chance to sometime this week, if you head into this classroom over here to my right, you would see a wall. And on that wall, there's a bunch of pictures. I got a picture, you can't actually see it very well, but that's what it looks like. On that wall, you're gonna see around 300 faces. 300 young people who have said, in a September, I'm gonna give 10 months of my life to serve the Lord and build a foundation that God can use for the long run of my life. And it has been my tremendous privilege to be a part of every one of those classes, all those lives, all those stories. And I actually thought it would be kind of fun if I could introduce you to some of those people in real life. So I've actually asked some of my friends to come up so you guys can come on up right now. And I wanna tell you that as I asked them to come, I said, I'm just gonna kind of have you come up and I'm gonna talk about you a little bit. And one of them answered back. She said, sure, I'll stand there. I'd be honored and to feel awkward, but I'd be honored. So I wanna introduce you a little bit and I'm gonna talk about them because I'm not handing the mic to any of them. So, um, cause we'll be here for a while. So I'm gonna start over here. This is Rebecca Tanner. She graduated in 06. So she is our campus coordinator here at the church and so much of the beauty and the excellence that you see in this conference is because of this gal right here. Yeah. And Rebecca, when she came to us, she is so full of ideas and potential and creativity, but she was working in kind of a regular job and not sure what she wanted to do with her life. And she came to say, Lord, there must be more. And look what happened. She gets to facilitate things like this to bless so many people so many times. This is Bonnie and Brian Pugh. They're pastors. They're, pardon? I never graduated. I know. He's here because Bonnie graduated from the program, but we love him and we've adopted him into the system. (laughs) (laughs) And we do love him a lot. Bonnie and Brian, as many of you know, run a ministry now called The Union, which I'll just do a shameless plug for them. One thing that's really exciting for me is that I got to watch as Bonnie laid this relationship down for two years and let God work in her life, let God work in Brian's life. And then I got to stand at their, not stand, sit at their wedding and watch her come in the room. You know those weddings when they've done it and they've committed their lives to the Lord and they want to do it right and they've been pure. Brian was a disaster when she walked in the room. I mean, I think there was like a bending over and sobbing moment that happened (laughs) because they waited and did it in a way that really honored God. And then of course, from that place, God has birthed this ministry that encourages young people especially, but everyone to walk in purity and holiness. Those moments in the presence of God in young people's lives make all the difference, right? Those dreaming seasons, it's amazing. Here we have Jeff and Brittany. Jeff and Brittany graduated 07, 08, a little while ago. Jeff, I'm gonna talk about for a minute. Jeff came to us, a young man. Dad had kind of left the scene when he was younger, strong, full of charisma. You've been watching him lead worship. You can tell he's got the mantle of leadership on him so strong. And that's always been there. 
But God needed to firm up some things in his heart. And then there was some seasons of delay and promises that he thought he was just so close to things coming to pass. And then watching it all kind of fall apart. And then watching God rebuild Jeff's life and see this incredible process. And then he brings Brittany into his life. And so much of their life has been marked by seasons of delay and waiting and trying to keep their hearts right before the Lord. And now, I don't know if anybody can tell, <laughs> but after a few years of waiting and praying and crying out to God, they're going to have their first baby. It's beautiful. <laughs> We're all very excited about that. I don't know if you recognize these two, Barry and Natasha. They, they serve as the youth pastors here at our church. They're pretty awesome, and I don't know if you can see it, but Barry's even wearing a unicorn shirt with a kitten on it. <laughs> Such is the confidence of Barry Thiessen. <laughs> but let me show you a picture of what Barry looked like when he came to us. Here it comes. Ta-da! There he is. Sometimes we let like very young people into our program. I think he was coming up on 14 there. <laughs> Barry, that punk, I'm telling you, he came to his interview with pot in his duffel bag. I want to serve God. And I want to party a little. <laughs> And he, you know, and that was kind of the story of his life. He was kind of feet in both worlds. And I got to watch as God formed him from the inside out. And we got to see that, that leader emerge inside of him. And Natasha, we got to walk together when their relationship was going really well. And then all of a sudden, Barry kind of panicked. I asked if I could tell this story because I'm not trying to embarrass him. He panicked. And I got this random phone call from Natasha. He just broke up with me. What? That's what I said. And she doesn't freak out very often, but she was a disaster. And she's like, the next thing I know, she's on my couch eating raw cookie dough, as one does when you're brokenhearted. And, and then I don't know what happened. You guys worked it out. And now they've got awesome kids and they're just doing amazing. And we're so excited and proud of them. This is Joel and Jenny. They also serve as pastors at Hill City Church. Mitch and Bonnie are in the back. Amazing, amazing young leaders. Joel grew up here in our church. And um, one thing I love to talk about with Joel, things that you wouldn't know when you look at him, is that when he was five, five, his dad and mom were missionaries in Bangladesh, Pakistan. Sorry, I tried to get this straight. In Pakistan, and his mom had come back to Canada with her two boys to have their, th their third child. And he was supposed to meet up with them in a couple weeks, but he was killed by a terrorist group. And Joel never saw his dad again. Changes a kid, you know? Changes a kid and makes you wrestle with the call of God on your life, I would imagine. Every fall, we have a time where we encourage our students to go and find something that represents issues that they need to forgive, people they need to forgive. And sometimes just as an act of symbolism, you know, we all do this. We ask them to kind of pick up a rock or find something that symbolizes this situation. And we're just going to ask you to throw it just to show that you're getting rid of it. And I, we actually have a picture. This is from a while ago, but there it is. And you can see him. He's on your far right, I believe. And that day, just as the way that it worked, it was foggy. And as he stood there, I kind of saw that he was struggling and he was holding it in his hand. And I walked over and I said, what's happening? It was, it just feels so crazy that I have to forgive my dad. He didn't do anything wrong, but I need to forgive him because he wasn't there for me for all the things I needed him to be there for. And then to watch him release it 
and let it go and give it into the hands of the Lord. You know, that's the privilege of leadership, isn't it? You get to watch people make these incredible life decisions. And I can tell you that I love watching him lead now because I know he could not be as strong as he is had he not done that brave thing that day. It's incredible. It's an incredible opportunity. We could not be more proud of all of them and all of those other faces that we have on those walls. Thanks, everybody. Did I make it too awkward? You were okay? Just a second. I just want to say that I don't pretend for a minute that I take credit for who they are. I know there's lots of fingerprints on a lot of people's lives, but I am so grateful that I was there for those first moments when they started emerging into their adulthood and into their leadership. I feel so privileged that I got to watch some of those key moments in their lives. It's an incredible opportunity. And if it was people like them forever, I would do what I do and lead forever and never resent a minute of it. And there are some people that come into our lives that make it really easy and make it really beautiful. And then there's some people that come into our lives that make us really have to dig in and do hard things. And I want to introduce you to somebody in my life who really taught me a lot about unconditional love and sacrifice. And I'm going to have her picture come on up. This is Racine. She came into our life about five years ago. And she changed my life forever because she sat with us and she had lived on the streets and she'd done all the things that you can imagine that one does when one lives on the streets, drugs and all the things that had come with it. Now, we're not a rehab program. We're not a drug rehabilitation. We're nothing like that. We've had people who've come through that have gone through some hard things and we've been able to help them because Jesus is the healer. And we're grateful for that. But when she came, we thought, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to, this is like kind of above our pay grade. But she convinced us that this is where she wanted to be. And so we brought her in. And I'll tell you, I have so many beautiful memories with that girl. She scraped and clawed and found her way to the presence of God. And nobody could worship like Racine. She would come to my house and watch me bake with my daughters with tears streaming down her face and just say, it's so normal. It's just so normal. Or we would try to have conversations and she would start to go into some of her story and she said, I can't tell you that, Carrie. I need to say it to somebody, but I can't say it to you because I don't want to pollute your mind. And so she was always like pastoring me and protecting me from information that she thought might hurt me eventually. And she did really well for like a year and a half. And then one day we realized that she had started drinking again. And I thought, well, she's going to get over it and she's going to be fine. But she didn't. And it started that spiral down, down, down. Next thing we knew, she was dropping off all of her stuff and saying, I'm going to head into the city for the weekend and then I'm going to check myself into a rehab facility. And we said, okay, but don't head into the city this weekend. Don't do that first. Just go right to the rehab facility. And she said, I need to do this. And so she came to, came to our house on a Saturday. And she made me promise that I wouldn't come outside. She was just going to drop stuff in my mailbox. But I didn't keep that promise. And I went outside and I hugged her. I said, please don't go. Please don't go. And she just looked at me, hugged me, kissed my cheek, and walked down the street. Two days later, when I woke up at like 5.30 in the morning... My husband had been waiting for me to wake up. And all he said was, she's gone. 
Nothing prepares you for that. She had overdosed on fentanyl, part of the opioid crisis. You know, this stuff doesn't touch us very often. Like that deep impact, we hear it on the news, but this is a face and a name and a story. And now she's right here and I just touched her two days ago. Changes you, changes your life. And I guess when I was called to the ministry, I didn't really picture that. I don't know what I pictured, but I didn't picture going to a funeral and talking about this beautiful young woman who just got wrapped up in all the wrong things. And my heart broke in so many ways. It reminds me of this scripture in, in the Second Corinthians. It says, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardship and calamities of every kind. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well-known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. Who does this? Like, welcome to ministry, y'all. Like, what? (laughs) This is crazy, but we can't stop. I can't stop. You can't stop. Because they might just turn it all around. And they might just see God do incredible things in their life. I can't stop. Can you stop? You love him. I love Jesus. And he, and he reaches to people through me. I can't stop it. But it hurts sometimes. And I guess I would have thought, of course it's going to be painful. It took Jesus to the cross. What part of this did I think wasn't going to involve pain? I don't know. But I did. I think at that point, it was really when I realized the truth that love isn't love unless it includes giving people the power to hurt you. It isn't love unless I say you are allowed and when I welcome you into my life, you are allowed to hurt me. Otherwise, I have no real connection. It's not actually happening. It's hard when people say horrible things about you and they barely know you. It's hard when you walk close with people and you think you know them and you think things are going fine and then you hear that their lives have blown up and they leave a trail of heartache behind them. It's incredibly painful. And then that relationship changes because now instead of being friends, you're leaders and you're walking them through things. It changes everything. Ministry is amazing when people turn out like those guys. It's amazing. It's awesome. Ministry is grueling when you're crying yourself to sleep at night because it hurts so bad to love people. And I think sometimes we can stack up enough of these experiences and I completely understand if some of you have like alternate jobs in your mind that you're thinking about doing. Anybody? I Just be honest with me. How many of you have a place that you go in your mind? You're like, I could be doing this instead. Anybody? Thank you. <laughs> Mine, true confessions, I want to be a Disney voice. <laughs> but the problem is, as you get older, you, um, you, you're not allowed to play like the sweet little young ingenues. You have to play like the villains, you know, like Ursula or Cruella de Vil, you know. So anyway, that dream is shot. So, but that's where I go in my moments. And I'll crank music and go sing in my car and say, I could do other things, you know. So the theme of this conference is healthy churches. And it's already been said, and I so appreciate what everybody's been saying. Pastor Dave is an amazing pastor. How do we stay healthy? We have to stay healthy. Our churches won't be healthy if we're not healthy. 
about seven years ago, we took over the program right after our twin boys were born, took over the program that we're running now. And I have a good friend in my life, which everybody needs, and she took me out for coffee and she said, Carrie, I don't know exactly how to say this, but it seems like this job is super relational. You have a, a small family. I just, I'm a little worried that, well, I'm afraid you're gonna go crazy. <laughs> and I don't want you to go crazy. <laughs> and I said, me either. And so it was maybe a crude way to say it, but my husband and I actually sat down in the next weeks and we said, we are gonna develop a plan called the we're not gonna go crazy plan. So uh, we talked about it quite a bit between the two of us, but I just really felt like if we're gonna talk about healthy churches, I wanted to talk about my I'm not gonna go crazy plan, if you don't mind. And you, I would honestly really recommend that you develop your own, but I'm gonna throw out a few that we've worked on. Some of these things have already been mentioned, but I think things are repeated because they are valuable. So Wayne Cordero wrote a book called Leading on Empty. Has anybody read that? It's a good book. In that book, he talks about drains and fills. I think probably top of the list of things that I need to keep an eye on are the things that drain me versus the things that fill me. I have my own list, you have yours. Things that drain me, complaining, uh, criticism, things like that. That just wears me out. Too much admin stuff, like I'm a people person. Too many details after too many days. And some of you might be opposite. You're like, too many people. I need like spreadsheets. Give me Excel. I can't handle it. You know, so whatever works for you. Hey, you do you. That's fine. But I'm not like that. So, and this is a weird feel, but for me, a clean house that smells good. Oh, and the wind is blowing through it and there's a candle. It's awesome. A drain, 15 loads of laundry that all need to be folded. And my kids are all yelling at each other and wanting the iPad. I want to poke my eyes out. It's not good for me. It's not good. If I don't get enough time with my kids, and for me, I need a whole day where nothing is scheduled. That's a fill for me. Uh, a drain is too many days that are too micromanaged and too many things day after day after day. You kind of get the idea. But the truth is, if you add too many draining days on top of each other, you're going to burn out. And the world would be a worse place if you weren't working and doing your thing and giving yourself wholeheartedly. So don't burn out. Keep an eye on your drains and your fills. Um, the second one is being in the wrong seat. Now, I want to explain this. Many of you have probably read the book by Jim Collins, Good to Great. And he just does this great image in here. And he said, a lot of the success in business is getting everybody, the right people on the bus, and then you get all the people into the right seats on the bus. Those are two very important things, and they're important that both of them happen. I've seen people, and I actually talked to a pastor once who ended up going through a, a, a horrible season of burnout, but I remember him saying one day, he goes, ah, ministry, it's so hard because I actually don't even like people. And I remember thinking, you are hooped. Like, you have to like people. Like, you can't do this if you don't like people. I mean, I guess sometimes it's hard, but you're paying too high of a rent check every month. If you don't like being around people, you are going to go bankrupt if you're sitting in the wrong seat. And even Pastor Dave mentioned this. Like, I think sometimes sitting in the wrong seat means I'm trying to compare myself with how somebody else leads, or I'm trying to compare my church with somebody else's church or my, uh, my position with somebody else's position. And when do I get to do what they're doing? And how come I don't have such great shoes as they have? You know, I mean, we just totally wear ourselves out thinking about what everybody else is doing 
doing. And if we're not confident that we're sitting in the right place, in the right seat, it's going to break us eventually. And it's not going to make it easy for us to continue doing what we do. Life is short. Do what you love. Or love what you do. And sometimes it's a choice. The third one, and this one I am very fierce about because I'm confident it is the ticket to crazy town. Develop a savior complex. I told you that we have around 300 graduates and I'm just, I just want to point out to you that some of the, the new kids on the block are sitting over here listening right now and they're helping you. They're serving you this week and I love them and they're all fresh-eyed and excited about what God's going to do in their life. It's so exciting to watch them. You know, but as time goes on, you know, we fill them up with all this truth and they get great pastoring from their youth pastors and their church on Sundays and they help in the kids ministry and they're thriving. And then they just kind of maybe drift and go off the rails and start making different decisions that you're like, what? One of my friends actually asked me one time, she said, does it weigh on you when people make bad decisions when you know that you taught them otherwise? And I really sat and thought about that for a minute. And I thought, you know what the truth is? I can't take credit for their success but I won't take blame for their failure. That is a one-way ticket to crazy town. When Racine died, we, you know, obviously we went through a lot of emotion in that and somebody came up to me and she hugged me, you know, one of those deep, sweet hugs. And then she says, I just want you to know that a lot of people are gonna blame you for her death, but I won't be one of them. (laughs) What do you say? Honestly, you guys, let me just take a second and thank you for your sweet hearts that don't knock people out because you've all had people say stuff like that to you. What, do you. what do you say? Blame me? I didn't drive her into the city. I didn't make those decisions, but she was right. People were going to blame me. And I knew in that moment, if I took that bait and decided that it was actually my fault that she had died... I would not be standing here right now. I would not. I saw the train leave the station. One-way ticket, crazy town. I am not the savior of her life. I am not in charge of life and death. And sometimes that feels cold and kind of heartless. I feel like maybe I should chase after people or, or go do things for them. But they, I cannot want their freedom more than they do. It will make me not healthy not good in the head. I need to go home at night and know that I've done what I can do and leave the rest to God. Leave it. Amen. I love this scripture. This is, you know, there's just little scriptures that when you read them, you're like, oh, that's one of my favorites. Matthew 23, verse 37, it says, Jesus, and you can kind of picture him. He's like standing, he must be standing over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Don't you see him, savior of the world, reaching out with all of the love and intensity of his heart. Nope. And he didn't chase them. Or how about this in Mark 4, one of our favorite stories about the parable of the the soils. In verse 11, though, Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, I was thinking about this and I'm like, even Jesus didn't have a savior complex and he was the actual savior. (laughs) 
come on. We can't save people, everybody. And we can't, we can't cause them to avoid hard decisions. We can try. But when they do, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. We have to let it go. Number four, cynicism. Carrie Newhoff just wrote a really great book called Didn't See It Coming. And I want to read a little quote from it, but I want to tell you what he wrote about cynicism really helped me understand. He said he had this couple in his church and they, you know, they were a smaller church and they had this couple come in and they were in need. And so he, they, they gave them lots of food. They took the meals. They, they counseled them. They helped their marriage. They helped their families. They dropped off food at their doorsteps. They did everything they could think of. And after a year of investing in these people, they stood up at a meeting one night and said, this church doesn't care about people and walked out the door. And he was really mad and hurt. And then this is the important part. He said, then about a year later, another couple that kind of looked like the same type of people walked in the back door. And in my heart, I said, I know how this ends. That's cynicism. And when we bite into cynicism, we're not living wide open. We can't open our hearts to the next person if we're sure they're going to break it. And we, we begin to judge people before we even know them. Cynicism will kill us. This is a quote from the book. He says, cynicism begins not because you don't care, but because you do care. It starts because you poured your heart into something and got little in return. Or maybe you, you got something in return, but it was the opposite of what you desired. Most cynics are former optimists. You never know it now, but there was a time when they were hopeful, enthusiastic, and even cheerful. There's something inside the human spirit that wants to hope wants to think that things will get better. Nearly everyone starts life with a positive outlook. If we're gonna stay healthy, we have to fight cynicism. Okay, and this is my last thought. And I'm just calling it front room leadership. Let me explain. My family came from Houston, Texas. I have no residue from that season of my life because I was only two when we moved, but I do love big hair. So there is that part of it. Love big hair. If you've ever been to Texas, those are my people. So when I was little, we would go back to Texas and my grandma, I don't know if you all had this, but my grandma had like a front room and that room, I swear there was like a firewall. If you stepped into that front room, especially as a child, you're going to combust into flames. Like it is, it is bad. Like you don't, you don't go in that room. It's the front room of the house. This is where we do our entertaining and no, nobody is certainly not me went in that room. And I was thinking about that and how in that room, appearances are everything. And you know, sometimes when we're struggling in our leadership and we're struggling with who we are, unfortunately, appearances become everything. And we kind of welcome people just into the front room where everything is dusted, where everything is perfect. We present an image of ourselves on Instagram that our kids are happy and healthy and clean. And I just want to say that I think it was the mercy of God that I had all of my kids so quickly because I think I would have probably driven them nuts if I had had them a little bit more spread out because I wanted you to think that I had this under control and my kids were going to match and wear really cute clothes and their hair was always going to be brushed. I actually have a picture of the day I gave up. I'm going to just see. There it is. Let me just explain why this picture is so funny. We were at Ikea. Those Crocs on those feet are fur-lined. They're the ugliest shoes you've ever seen in your life. And I took my kids out in public with Iron Man socks and fur-lined Crocs. Now, I thought I was going to have really cute Pinterest kids. I did. I gave up. 
I had to give up because I had to survive somehow. But it kind of serves as an analogy for me of like the things I want you to believe about me. Oh, hi, Jeff. I, I want you to believe even right now that my kids are obedient and healthy. They are healthy. They're in school right now, hopefully giving their teachers an easy time. I don't want you to know that I did actually bribe them to be good to their grandparents this week. And I will give them a prize if they go to bed on time because that's the parenting I'm doing right now because it's busy. I'm doing that. It's not great, but I'm doing it. But I want you to believe that somehow I read all the right books and I'm killing it. I'm in full-time ministry. My kids are doing awesome and they never act up and they never disrespect me. And all of our students are amazing. And I have a great outfit. Thank you very much. I want you all to think that about me. But that's the front room of my life. You and I know that the best conversations happen in the kitchen. The best conversations happen when I'm falling asleep at night and I'm trying to have a conversation with my husband or I'm sitting on the edge of my bed, uh, of the bed with my kids and they're just about to drift off and they'll tell me about a problem they had at school. Those, that's true connection. But when we've been hurt, we just want everybody in the perfectly kept house. And we pull up the welcome mat and we never let them in the back door and we never have meaningful connections because it hurts or it could hurt. And it's just easier sometimes not to, but that's not the way this whole thing works. Second Corinthians four, seven, verse nine, Pastor Dave read this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of God will not be, is, and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. The truth is these people that we lead deserve a leader who comes with their full heart. They, they deserve that. They deserve to know that sometimes I'm gonna argue with my husband. And sometimes I'm gonna yell at my kids and it's not because they deserved it. It's because I'm stressed out. And I'm gonna say things that I regret and they're gonna to have to watch me apologize to them. Or I'm gonna be really cranky at them and I'm gonna ignore them one day when I really should be kind, but I'm just maxed. They need to see that. They deserve to see that. I know for me when I'm not healthy, I just kind of close shop. It's like I put on a no vacancy sign and say, you're not sorry, full. It's not healthy. And I want to tell you when Racine died, I went to this funeral up in um, Kelowna where the service was and Pastor Dwayne Trellenberg delivered the eulogy that day. And I was in this place. I was numb. I went to that funeral, numb, so overwhelmed, wrestling with the idea that I was, a, I had a part to play in her not being with us anymore. Watching her mom sob in the front row and knowing that I was probably one of the last safe people she saw on this earth. I had a lot on my mind that day. Top of my mind was, Lord, I don't know if I can keep doing this. This is hard stuff. I mean, and that's like the big one. Never mind all the death by thousand paper cuts that happen in the weird conversations I have every week. This is hard. And Pastor Dwayne that day talked about high adrenaline sports and how people chase adrenaline and and that they want to do things that like high adventure and all this. And then he said this really important thing. He said, but nothing on earth compares to the adrenaline you get when you genuinely love other people. 
And then I don't know if it was just for me, but he just looked at the crowd and he just said, so don't stop. It's worth it. Don't stop loving people. Even when it hurts, which it will. Don't stop loving people even when they stop loving you. Don't stop. And I don't know who needs to hear it today, but some of us need to hear it today because maybe you came in here and you all look amazing, but maybe you had a weird conversation in the last couple weeks and you're just trying to figure out like, what do I do? And you're maybe not ready to quit, but you're just trying to figure out what do I do with that? Where do I put that? And I just want to say, don't stop. Don't quit and don't go alone. You make such a difference. The world is better because you're in it. And we need you, Pastor. We need you. Your peace, your part is doing more than you can possibly imagine. On my living room wall, I have one plaque and it reminds me, it says, love never fails. Because the truth is, I do fail. I do fail. At best, I can give 50%, 45%. I'm relying on God to make up the difference. And He will. He will. And we love Him for it. And we do the best we can because we are His hands and we are His feet. But you need to be healthy and I need to be healthy so we can keep doing it. And that's my prayer for all of us today, that we would just live wide open, spacious lives, hearts fully alive, ready to try again, even when we've been hurt. Amen. Amen. Amen.